Thank you for tuning in to Aggie Catholic Talks. This is a recording from a talk on September 21st, 2022. In this talk, licensed Catholic counselor Christopher Lafitte visited to discuss the mind, body, and soul and what it means to be human. He gives an introduction to Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body and leaves us with a few practicals of how we can flourish as college students in the modern world. If you like this talk, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. Thanks, God bless, and gig'em. It's so good to see all of you. Some familiar faces, a lot of new faces. Uh, uh, I, I absolutely loved my time here at St. Mary's as a student and as uh, just being on staff here as the counselor. Um, so it's just good to be with all of you. Uh, as we get started, how about we uh, open with a little prayer? Does that sound good? And uh, we'll, we'll pray, and uh, I'll take a moment of quiet, and I'll pray for you, that you hear tonight whatever the Lord wants to speak to your heart. And I just ask that you pray for me, that I can just speak to you whatever the Lord wants to speak to you. Does that sound good? All right, let's pray. In the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of our lives, the gift of your love, for creating us uh, as human beings, for making us in your image and calling us to live in love with you and like you. We ask your blessing on us in this time. We pray for light in our minds where uh, there's ignorance or darkness. Just enlighten our minds. And we ask for healing in our hearts uh, where we're broken and wounded by sin. We ask you to give us a desire for a beautiful love today, Lord, that we uh, may be rescued from the places and ways in which we've settled for love less than what we are made for. That we might go after all that you made us for and called us to by your grace. Bless us in this time. And I ask in a special way that you bless all of these students here, those listening, that we all might hear the word you wish to speak to us tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Holy Spirit. Amen. Again, so good to be with you all. So I'm going to talk with you a little bit about John Paul II's Theology of the Body. As you can see, it's a very small book. Uh, it is uh, not a small book. It is a collection of uh, 133, it's called Wednesday Audiences. It's where the Pope uh, gives about a 15-minute talk in St. Peter's Square. Uh, is the first thing he did as Pope was give that. It took him about five years to deliver all those addresses because he, he wrote it and was going to publish it as Cardinal, but he was made Pope. So it's almost like the Lord was like, and now I want you to share this with the whole world. Because if you, if you dig into this stuff, 
it is life-changing. It is life-changing. There, there are two teachings that have absolutely changed my life in a way that has just helped me uh, just encounter the Lord and has just brought the gospel to life in, in a very uh, impactful way. Okay? One of those is the theology of the body. Okay? The other one is uh, uh, Bob Schutz's teaching on uh, just how we bring our hearts to the Lord for healing with, the, with the John Paul, John, Bob Schutz of the John Paul II Healing Center. So, uh, I'll give you another little tidbit real quick. This is a bonus unrelated to the talk, but it's good. So there's a book uh, called The Fire Within by Father Thomas Dubay. Any of you ever heard of that book? Great book on prayer. So there's, there's one page in there. It's another pretty good-sized book. There's one page in there where he says there, there are five elements to an experience. Okay, this is a little philosophical uh, teaching he gives, but it's gold. He's, first element of an experience is you have to make contact with something to experience it, okay? So you're all sitting in your chairs right now. You wouldn't be able to experience your chair if you weren't making contact with it, okay? Second, awareness. You have to be aware of the chair you're sitting in in order to, to experience it, okay? In a moment, you're gonna forget you're sitting in a chair, you know, hopefully, hopefully I'm not boring you that much, okay? And you're not going to be as conscious to that experience because you're going to lack the awareness there, okay? But that's an important element to an experience, okay? Contact, awareness. Second is cognition, okay? So there's thought, you know, chair. Here it is. It's a hard chair, you know? It's not a soft chair, you know? Third or fourth is affectivity. This is predominantly what we think about in the experience, okay? There's affect. There's emotion. We're moved, okay? Lastly is passivity. You have to put yourself in the chair in order to experience it. You have to let yourself go in order for it to hold you up, okay? Does it make sense? So the way those two teachings, uh, and I'm going to reference one of them quickly, but Bob Schutz is teaching with the John Paul II Healing Center, the way that helps us so much to experience God and encounter God is it helps us in the area of passivity, where, where sin and brokenness has hardened our hearts and we don't know how to be open, receptive, vulnerable, passive to love, to receive it. Does that make sense? Those are all synonyms, essentially. Okay? What the theology of the body helps us with is it gives us an awareness. It gives us an awareness of just how much God loves us how he has created us to live in love with him and with one another. Because we go through life very aware, okay, there are people around me. I can relate to these people a lot easier than I can the plant or the pillar, okay? But we're not able to go so deep sometimes and the relationship isn't able to, to, to really uh, be something that brings us to life because we're not aware of how deep we can go in relationships, okay? Sometimes we can, and those friendships are beautiful. Uh, those family relationships are beautiful. But there's a, there's a depth to which John Paul II invites us into a relationship with God and one another that uh, I don't think the church has had anybody articulate until now, okay? So it's a beautiful teaching. He'll probably be made a doctor of the church uh, just someone, the church says, hey, this guy's got something to offer us, okay, because of the theology of the body. 
So that's what we're going to unpack tonight. I just want to give you that initially, because uh, that's what's going to start happening, is you're going to start to become aware of just how I can be in relationship with my brother, my sister, you know, and with God. So with that, let's dive in a little bit. Um, there's two questions he seeks to answer when he writes the theology of the body. Okay? The first is, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? The second, how do I live my life in a way that brings true happiness? Those seem pretty fundamental questions, right? It's something that is pertinent to just about everybody. And so I think that's why it's so applicable and, and uh, just delightful for everyone, because it's like we're all asking those questions. What does it mean to be me? What does it mean to be human? How do I live my life in a way that brings happiness? Okay, so the first part of the theology of the body, he kind of explains the first question, answers that first question. Second part, he answers the second question. I'm only going to get to about like 20% of, of the first section, uh, and I'm going to go fast and just hit bullet points. It's so rich, okay? But initially, what he, what he says is when we look at the human experience, okay, the human person in our history, what we're living in right now is what he calls historical man, okay? Man in history, okay? In time. But in the beginning, before sin entered the world, there was a different way of being human. He calls that original man. I'm going to spend most of my time talking about original man because we live in, in this time period where, of, of historical man, man in history, so we're a lot more familiar with that. I'll give you some tidbits based on the light in light of original man. Uh, and then we're going to talk about eschatological man. It comes from the word eschaton, which means, you know, the end. Uh, and, and what it means of, you know, what life is going to be like uh, in heaven, okay? In the end. So, all right, initially, with original man, he starts this teaching off with the words of Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And, 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 and the Pharisees are talking about, you know, Moses allowed divorce, you know, what do you say about this? And he says, Jesus says to them, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your heart. Okay? That's what we know as in this historical man, this period of historical man. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your heart. But in the beginning, it was not so. He's calling us back to our origin to come to understand what it means to be human. So if we look at Genesis, there's this first experience of man, where, where man is created, and he finds himself alone with the animals. Okay, God says, first off, he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable partner for him. So the Lord God formed out of the ground various wild animals and various wild birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called, each of them would be its name. The man gave them names. Gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the air, all the wild animals. But none proved to be the suitable partner for the man. John Paul II says that what Adam is discovering, he's trying to... to make a gift of himself, to be in relationship with some of these animals. And as cool as they are, you know, you got the dog there, man's best friend, okay? 
you've got the gecko selling him some great insurance, you know, so, but you can't, he can't quite have the depth of relationship that he wants. There's something more that he knows he's made for that, that he can't quite find an outlet for, okay? Until he goes to God. And it's there that he finds that this is someone I can give myself to, another person. Okay? He says uh, there, there's a couple things Adam learns in relation to the animals and that he is not determined like the animals are by instinct. Okay? There's a self-determination. Okay? He's able to determine with his own free will what he's going to do, what he's going to be. And the animals aren't capable of that. You know? They're just like squirrel or, or chasing the tail you know? or eating the dog. You know? They're just determined by, by the instinct that's there. And they don't have an interior life. They can't hope, they can't dream, they can't desire deeply. <laughs> and, and this is what uh, we share being made in the image of God. Okay? We're persons like Him. We have something going on inside of us that we can share with someone and be in relationship with. Okay? And we're made for communion to be in a relationship like that. So we're going to move on here, but a real practical takeaway from, from this idea of original solitude is in our lives, no matter how beautiful a relationship may be with the people around us, and even in marriage, understanding a lot of this, trying to practice it, you will always find that any other human person around you will fail you, will let you down, will not be enough to satisfy the desires in your heart for love. My wife and I know that very well with one another, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt us or bother us to know, to, to see the other person sometimes recognize, yeah, you, you're not going to be able to satisfy me. <laughs> you're not going to be able to be enough for me. It's like, yeah, duh. And, and you're not for me. There's something we long for to be received infinitely. Okay? We were made with what's called the kapax dei in Latin. This capacity for God. And, and no individual human being, human person, is going to be able to satisfy the depths, the longings for love that God put in our hearts. So hold on to that. Hold on to that. Because that's something that, that this, this understanding of original solitude can teach us that if, if you're lusting after people, you know, not just sexually, but just relationally in friendship, wanting friends, grasping after friends, or grasping after spouse, or grasping after a father figure, grasping after your kids to show you affection, you know, all of that's lust. It's an idolatry of relationship. If, if, if we're grasping after that, we've got to remember, and we all do that, we've got to remember, I'm longing for love, and I'm made for love. I'm just looking in the wrong place. God can satisfy that in us. He wants to satisfy that in us. And if we put those desires on the finite people in our lives, we will crush them. And we will be bitter and resentful that they can't satisfy us. It's just a bad strategy. Okay? 
The Lord wants to satisfy our desires for love. We've just got to hear that, believe that, go to Him, and we need help going to Him with our hearts. Because again, we're broken, we're wounded, we're hardened because of sin and woundedness, and we, learn, we need to learn how to open our hearts up to love again so that we can be passive before the Lord, receptive, vulnerable before the Lord, and be loved by Him. Okay, so original solitude. Take away that practical with you. No one's going to... No one, as great as you, your brothers and sisters are sitting next to you, they're not going to do it for you. Neither am I. You know, you, we need the Lord. All of us need the Lord. Let's not forget that. Okay, moving on. So next concept he talks about is original unity. Okay? It's not good for man to be alone. So there was no suitable partner for the man. So the Lord God cast a deep sleep on the man. And while he was asleep, he took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. The Lord God then built up into a woman the rib he had taken from the man. When he brought her to the man, the man said, This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of her man this one has been taken. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and the two of them become one body. I want you to hear Adam again. This one at last. Can you hear how much he's longing to give himself to somebody? And he has communion with God without before sin. And yet there's still something in him that God put there to where he wants to, to incarnate, to make visible the love in his heart that he has with God. It's not enough. God did that. He put that desire in us to want to make visible this invisible reality within us, this desire for communion. And he sees in Eve at last Someone I can connect with, someone I can commune with, someone I can give myself to who can receive me, who has an interior life of her own, who can share her own hopes and dreams and desires, who can come alive with me and I with her at last. And can you just imagine for a moment the delight in God over that? He is so happy about human love. He loves human love and divine love and divine human love. He's all about it. He's all about it. So when we start to, to dig into masculinity, femininity, the male and female body and, and our sexuality. Let's remember that. And let's, let's, let's just gently ease into this, okay? Because we've all got a lot of shame in our hearts, okay? The Lord wants to cast it out. He wants to heal us of the shame so we're not afraid to go into these sensitive places in our hearts, okay? Where our sexuality has got us in trouble, not knowing how to handle our sexual desires, 
okay, looking for love, looking to make a gift of ourself. But again, this is, we've lost original innocence, John Paul says. Okay, we're, we're living in historical man, so, so we don't know how to live in the communion that they have. And we're wounded with our sexuality and sexual desires. So the Lord wants to redeem that, but as we, as we press into this a little bit and see the beauty here, don't despair. Don't laugh it off in fear of the vulnerability and the intimacy. Okay? If you notice that in yourself, don't, 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 don't be scared. Just notice it and let the Lord love you there. Just be there. Okay? It's a good way to begin this whole passivity process before the Lord. Just be there and know He's loving you. Just receive His love for you there. Anytime we commune with the Lord, that's when we heal. Okay? Because we begin to know just how loved we are. So what, what Adam and Eve experience in original unity here is this communion of persons at such a deep level. And John Paul II says, this right here is where we image God most profoundly. Okay? That you, you've heard, you know, we, we image God because we have an intellect. We, we, have, we have freedom. Okay? But John Paul II says, and... We image God in communion, okay? Because who is God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? The Father and the Son give themselves so totally to each other, and the love between them is the, the Holy Spirit, okay? What happens when husband and wife give themselves to one another, okay? You have to give it a name nine months later, right? Okay? He says, this is how man images God most profoundly, okay, is in the communion of persons, okay? We image Him individually, but we image Him together, and not just as husband and wife, but with one another. Where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst, okay? Because there's a giving, receiving of self, okay? That's how we image God practical here, okay? Um, God wants us to live in loving relationships, right? He wants us to incarnate this, this desire for communion, okay? With one another, okay? And with Him. And the beauty of being Christian is that as God divinizes us and sanctifies us and graces our hearts, our love becomes one with His and we love with divine love. We love with a love beyond our own. And man, those relationships are the best. The best. But we still live in a fallen world. We're still wounded. So as we desire to really live in beautiful friendship, beautiful dating relationships and spousal relationships with one another, remember, we still need good boundaries, okay? In this fallen world, in this period of historical man. Let someone prove themselves trustworthy to you before you entrust yourself to them. And it's not black and white. It's two degrees, okay? If someone, you're passing someone on the sidewalk and they're not carrying a torch threatening to set you on fire, okay, I'm safe enough to walk by this person on the sidewalk, okay? Setting the bar low, okay? But they have proved themselves trustworthy to the degree that I can walk past them on the sidewalk. Does that make sense? 
In degrees, we need to let the people around us prove themselves trustworthy to us. And as we grow in trust, we gradually unveil the gift of our heart to them more and more and more. And then, because we're in a fallen world, to give your whole self to somebody, we need vows there, okay? Promises that you're not going to leave, I'm not going to leave, okay? And with that totality, the promise of total self-gift, okay, now I can unveil my body to you, my whole self to you. Does that make sense? Okay, We, we need that to protect our hearts, our interior life, okay? It's important. So, Take, let's take that away from this, this idea of original unity here. Okay? We're made for relationship. We're made to image God. Okay? We still need good boundaries. We still need to wait for someone to prove themselves trustworthy to us before we, we give ourselves to one another. Okay? All right, next point. This is my favorite point in all of the theology of the body. And if, if you read the theology of the body and you get to uh, the original nakedness it is just so beautiful so beautiful and i am not going to be able to do it justice just go take a read okay we're going to do the best we can so real quick um there's a a, some different people who've just done a whole lot to to make this work accessible because it's it's so dense and so big uh probably the best the one i'd recommend the most is christopher west He's got a really good book called The Theology of the Body for Beginners where he goes through kind of all the main points and just real quickly and beautifully explains a lot of that. He's also got a great podcast. He's an equally gifted speaker and writer, but he's got a great podcast called the Ask Christopher West Podcast. And it just, you can write in there any questions that you have. Uh, it's so good. It's so good. So that's a good resource to go to after this. But I'm going to do the best I can with original nakedness. So... Adam and Eve, they meet one another. It's a good day. And there's one line that John Paul II uses here. Some others too, but one line he uses to unpack all of original nakedness. He says, he takes from Genesis, the man and his wife were both naked, yet they felt no shame. They felt no shame. Naked without shame. I'm going to read one thing here, just because it's so good. I didn't know if I was going to read it, but I'm going to read it. Okay. So in this, what they're seeing in the nakedness of the body of the other, okay? We're going to do a different quote first, actually. Okay. What, what, they're, what they're seeing in the nakedness of the body of the other is they're not seeing the body the way we see it today as arbitrary, okay? It's, it's essential to revealing the person, okay? We, we as a church uh, have, this, have this understanding of the human person that uh, it's called a hylomorphic anthropology, fancy word, I know, okay? A hylomorphic anthropology, it means our body and our soul are integrated, okay? We have a spiritualized body, okay? Or we're embodied spirits. There's a unity there. There's no separation, if you separate the two, what's that called? Death, right? Okay, so there's a unity there. We've lost this very basic concept today. That's why we're so confused, okay? They were not confused in the garden. So when they saw one another and they saw the body of the other, 
they saw the body as a revelation of the person, of their heart, of their soul. Okay? John Paul II says, the body, in fact, and only the body, is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. It has been created to transfer into the visible reality of the world the mystery hidden from eternity in God, and thus to be a sign of it. When they look upon the body of the other, they see visibly a call to love. Okay? When we look upon the body of this man, we see the invisible reality of the heart of God made visible to us. Okay? The body is not arbitrary. It matters. No pun intended. Yeah. It's, it's essential. And so when they, they look upon the body of the other, they see, I'm called to be in communion with you. They see that in, in the, the body parts of one another. They see one another in, in innocence and in purity. I'm made to be one with you. Adam sees Eve and sees a receptivity in her being for him and a desire to receive him and conceive life with him and nourish the life from their love together. Eve sees in Adam, in his body, this call in his strength to, to lay down his life for her, to sacrifice, to fight, to protect her. I'm trying to discern here how sensitive we can go, how mature we are here. Okay? I'm going to try. Just, if there's any nervousness, just bring it to the Lord, any shame or fear. Okay? She sees in his body this desire to swell in strength and come into her. Okay? These are great mysteries, beautiful mysteries, okay? That we can see in the body. If we cannot look at the body with shame, but look at it with goodness, with purity, okay? The way John Paul II was looking at it, okay? The body has so much to teach us about love and this call to be a gift, the call to communion. In that, John Paul II says, they see and know each other, in fact, with all the peace of the interior gaze, which creates precisely the fullness of the intimacy of persons. I'll read that again. This, this, this concept of the interior gaze, it's, it's so beautiful. And who doesn't want to be loved like that? Okay? Who doesn't want to be seen like that and to see another like that? They see and know each other, in fact, with all the peace of the interior gaze, which creates precisely the fullness of the intimacy of persons. There, in and through the body of the other, okay, there's an experience, an integrated experience, not disintegrated like we experience, an integrated experience of desire, of arousal, 
with this call to be a gift to the other. A gift given and a gift received. Does this make sense? And beholding one another, they see in and through the body the person. The body reveals the person. And being, be, beholding each other, they rest in the peace of the gaze of one another. This is teaching us something of, of what the Lord wants to redeem in us so that we can love like this, but it's also teaching us what prayer can be like. Because this is how the Lord looks at us. It's how He looked at everybody. And when we go to Him, He sees us with all the peace of the interior gaze. We don't. And it's hard sometimes to approach the Lord like that in prayer because we start to get close. There's an experience of intimacy and we're like, oh yeah, what time it is? Yeah. Because it's hard to be vulnerable. It's scary to be vulnerable. It brings up pain from our past. Do I want to be intimate? Do I want to be vulnerable? Do I want to be known? Because I don't want anybody to know this about me. Are you going to love me? I don't love me here. And eventually we just stop praying. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Tell him you're scared. Tell him you're scared. Right there, in that place. Don't stop. Tell him you're scared to be seen there. He'll honor you. He'll veil his gaze that's intimidating for you. Okay? He'll give you the space you need to draw near so that you can be loved, so that you can know He's not going to violate you or mock you the way others have before. You're safe with Him. You're safe with Him. He's going to love you. And He'll do it the way you need to be loved. Just don't hide anything from Him. Whatever's there, bring it to Him just as it is, and be loved right there. Okay? It's a practical takeaway from this, this idea of this interior gaze. Okay? Let yourself be seen by God here. Because as you are seen by God like this, with this peace and purity, you will begin to see others like this as well, where you will see the gift of every person around you as God shares His own vision with you, as, as, as your heart becomes transformed into His. Let's take away that as a practical, something we could practice, interior gaze. So I've, I mentioned it, I think I, I didn't flesh it out all the way, but there's another point there called the spousal meaning of the body. Okay? That's something he hits on there where they see in the sexuality, the masculinity, the femininity of one another, okay, this call to communion, this call to be gift in the body. Okay? This call to be gift. Okay? Not something taken. Okay? To be a gift. And there's a mutual trust that when I gift myself to you, you're going to come through for me. And when you gift yourself to me, I'm going to come through for you. Is this dimension of gift that they're living in where they have no idea. They, like, 
here's the thing, like, we can't fathom this. They don't know shame. They've never experienced it. They have no concept for it. It's never, it's never been in the history books. It's not on their mind. They're just living in freedom. And John Paul II says, because of that experience, we actually can't know just what it was like. He calls shame a boundary experience. We can kind of only know and try to get a sense of what this original nakedness was like the way we, we, we do a photographic negative, okay? Because we have to kind of go through this boundary of shame to kind of try to get a sense of what it was like to live in that purity. Does that make sense? But let's do the best we can because it's beautiful, okay? So that spousal meaning of the body, that's important. So I'm going to bring it up here in just a second, okay? I am so bad at staying on time. We're going to go quick. All right. Historical man, okay? Adam and Eve fall, okay? There's sin. We all know what it's like to live with corrupted hearts where we don't trust very well, so we take what we want. And we have taken from us in all sorts of different ways, seven deadly sins. There's various forms of grasping after what, what we want, okay? The Lord comes, the Word becomes flesh. The second person of the Trinity, God becomes man to show us what it means to be human, to teach us what it means to be human, okay? To, in a certain sense, bring us back to original man, but actually not. Because what he wants to do is give us his own life to where we become shares in his own nature. It's a nuptial thing he's going after here where he wants to wed us, okay? join himself to us, just like we read about in there in original unity. Okay? So that where he goes, being one with him, we will go also. And so he comes as bridegroom to wed the bride. This is what baptism does. It unites us to him. Okay? And, and, and we can't, we're not meant to sexualize the mystery. Okay? Okay? But the, the purity of sexuality and sexual union points and shows us the union. Okay? The union and the joy of, of intimacy and union with Jesus. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's a spousal analogy, and all analogies fall short, but that's a really good one for helping us understand the type of intimacy God wants for us, okay? And what we can experience in prayer. And I can assure you, as beautiful and as wonderful as, as sexual intimacy is in marriage, living as best as you can with this type of purity, it pales in comparison to what you can experience now in prayer. Because no human person is going to satisfy what's in your heart. Okay? And I'll tell you that as a married man. The joys of prayer far exceed the joys of marriage. You just have to go there. You have to give Him everything. You have to want it. And He'll give you Himself a love that... that we can't fathom, okay? But he wants to join us to himself, okay? And share with us his own life, his own nature, okay? Before the fall, we were, we were less than the angels in the order of creation as far as dignity goes, 
after redemption, because He shares His own life with us, we're elevated above the angels. We're on the same level as the Trinity. As gift. If you try to wrap your mind around that, eventually it's going to explode. Okay? Take some time to ponder that. That's our baptism. It's a kapox dei here. We're meant to live in union with God, and He helps us to receive Him. Because we can't receive Him on our own. It's so beyond us. But the Spirit intercedes on our behalf and teaches us. And that's what John Paul II says we need is a life in the Spirit. This is what heals our hearts and teaches us how to love again. We're united to Christ in baptism and gifted with the Holy Spirit. He sanctifies us, purifying us, making us like Christ, being able to love again. There's, there are two concepts here in historical man that are really important to understand. One is, that's one, life in the Spirit. It's a pretty important concept. Okay? This other one is, he uses the words ethic and ethos. Okay? There's an ethic or rule okay, and an ethos, kind of a disposition toward the rule. In the beginning, there was an ethic to love and there was an ethos that was perfectly integrated with that. Not so after the fall. Okay? After the fall, there are ethics, ways in which we're meant to live as human beings, and there's an ethos in us that doesn't know how to comport with that. Okay? We get it when it comes to not killing people, most of us, most of the time, where, where it's like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Okay? In, in barbaric times, that was not the case. Honey, how many people did you kill today? Three. Oh, great. You know, more land. You know? Okay? <laughs> That's a problem. Okay? But there's a cultural thing going on there where our conscience gets dulled. We're not far off when it comes to lust today. We're so messed up. The ethos in our hearts is so disconnected from our nature and from the ethic and the call to love with a beautiful love and not grasp after each other and not agree to just grasp after each other. That's not marriage. That's not Christian marriage. It's a call to be gift. So the Lord wants to transform our ethos to where we can comport with the ethic, where we want to live in, according to the ethic. And it's easy. It's easy to do so. Only by grace is this possible. But He comes and He does it for us. That's what the sacraments are all about. Ways in which of initiating us back into life, back into our humanity. Helping us to love again. Helping us to live in love again. Okay? Okay. Couple more thoughts here. There's a, you know how I use the term spousal meaning of the body? Okay? This call they see in, in one another's body, this call to be gift. He says, John Paul II says, the problem that we experience, okay, today with lust is we experience the sensation of sexuality, okay, sexual desire, sexual attraction, sexual arousal divorced from the spousal meaning of the body. Okay. 
we don't experience all of that energy within us, that desire, as a call to be a gift. But let's be aware of that concept. Because if we can get that's what the Lord wants to do for us, is to reintegrate us to where when I experience that, certainly don't shame it. Because it's good. It's good. The desires for union and communion are good. Whoa, they're disordered though. Okay, they're good, but man, I don't know how to aim these suckers. Because I really want to go here. The ethos does not match the ethic. I want to go here, and I want to do this with this person, and this with that person, and this with these pixels. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. (laughs) But he wants to reintegrate this sensation of sexuality with the spousal meaning of the body. Okay, We've got to stop shaming sexual desire. We have to accept and receive ourselves in that, that way. Okay? And be honest at how messed up we are. Not with condemnation, with honesty and humility. Lord, I want to love. I don't know how to love. This is what I want to do with this person. Oh, I can't believe I just said that. I've been hiding that from myself forever. (laughs) We will only experience love every time we have the courage to be honest about what's inside. And when we are loved in each one of those places, we will heal and heal, and heal, and heal, and heal, and come more and more and more into communion with God, where we will learn how to experience the sensation of our sexuality as a call to be gift to the mystery in front of us. Okay? It's a takeaway. Think about that. This is what God wants to do. One more thing, and then let's touch on eschatological man real quick. Uh, There's a term that's misused. It has two meanings, but we we don't understand the second meaning. So virginity, virginal, okay? And oftentimes when we think of virginity and sexuality, we think, okay, there's virginity lost. Virginity means purity, okay? And what John Paul II says, this is why this theology of the body is so beautiful, okay? Ready? He says, as spouses learn to love one another virtuously, okay, where the sensation of sexuality is integrated with the spousal meaning of, this, of the body. Okay? As spouses grow in their love for one another, they become more virginal. That's redemption. Where there's this restoration of innocence and holiness and purity in us. This is what God wants for you. Okay? This is what it means to be human. You're made for a beautiful love. A beautiful love. Don't settle for something less than that. You're made for something magnificent. And as good as it is with the people around here, you're going to be let down. Don't be surprised by that. Go to the Lord. Keep going to the Lord. And He will reveal His heart to you more and more and more and more. And you will know a love that, doesn't, that, that never fails to satisfy you. This is what it means to be human. Okay? To li- to, you're made to be a gift. You're called to communion. And this is how we live our lives in a way that brings true happiness. We live in love.
And there's a million ways to, to live that out. Okay? You get to figure that out. It's the adventure of your life, and you get to do that with the Lord. That's how we live our lives in a way that brings true happiness, though, is we live a love like that. Okay? Real quick, eschatological man. In the end, there will be no marriage, so says the Lord, except the marriage between God and everyone. Okay? We don't really know what that's like. <laughs> Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Okay? We have no idea what's coming. But we know it's going to be good. And again, the more you draw near to the Lord and taste a pure love, the more you get a taste of what is to come. And you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. Okay? There's ways in which we can live out love. Okay? Vows of celibacy, vows of marriage. Okay? Both help one another out on our way home. Okay? Married couples in their union, in their family, in their sacrifices, show the consecrated folks what they're living in relationship with God now. Okay? They're living the nuptial union with God now. Okay? Already what we're going to be living in heaven, they say, I think God's asking me to go ahead and start living that. And they become a sign for married couples not to get stuck and myopic on, on, on what is what's happening right now. That there's something more to come. You know, it's kind of like if you're a, a sweets person at a nice dinner, it's like, yeah, hold your fork. Yeah. Nice dessert is coming. Okay? I'm not a big sweets person. I prefer to hold the, hold the fork and the knife, and I'm like, I'll have another ribeye, please. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a joke. Yeah, so, but hold on. Hold on. There's something more coming, okay? And we're all meant to help each other out on the way home, all right? I think that's good for now. All right.